Hello everyone, my name is Rick, Rick van Bruggen from Neo Technology and uh, here I am again uh, recording another podcast session for our Neo4j Graph Database podcast. Uh, it's a remote session again today uh, over Skype and I'm joined today by Ian Robinson. Welcome Ian. Hello Rick. Hey, uh, good to have you on the podcast. Um, yeah, so Ian, uh, lots of people probably know you from your Graph Database book and or and you know lots of the other talks. But uh, for those of you that don't know you yet, uh, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so Ian Robinson, um, you've already mentioned a couple of things that, that I've done uh, whilst at Neo. I've been here about four years. Um, I'm a developer here, but I'm also one of the authors of O'Reilly's Graph Databases book. Um, and for the last few years, I've also spent quite a bit of time uh, talking about and presenting graph database material at different conferences. Uh, now I'm working on a lot of uh, internal material at, at Neo um, and development work here currently. Okay. So, so how, can you, would you mind telling us how you got to Neo? You know, how, what's the history? Um, well, I'm a long-time user of Neo, uh, so I used it prior to joining the company. Uh, came across it probably six six years ago or so. Um, and whilst working with, with Jim Weber elsewhere, we, we both came across Neo and experimented with it whilst working with other customers, uh, developing little prototypes, um, and just becoming fascinated by both the technology, but also a lot of the opportunities, a lot of the capabilities that it opened up for us. Um, and so when the opportunity emerged about four years ago to join the company, it was, uh, it was a no-brainer. Fantastic. Okay, very cool. So yeah, Ian. I mean, I always ask the, always ask the same questions here on this podcast, uh, and, and and one of those is, you know, why graphs? You know, what do you love about graphs, and why do you think it's uh, the best thing since uh, sliced bread? Uh, what do I love? Well, I'm, I mean, firstly, I have to say I do love graphs and love graph, graph databases. Um, really love Neo4j and and all the the work that I've done with it and with the customers of Neo over the last few years. Um. I've, I've been thinking about YGraph uh, again quite a bit recently and about how as a community we've, we've thought about and discussed and proposed the value of graph. Um, and I've been thinking about alternatives to, to the traditional arguments that we make. Um, I mean, if we think of the, the ways in which we normally talk about the benefits of graphs and graph databases, we talk about things like performance and flexibility, the flexibility of the data model. Um, we talk about the way in which the technology aligns well with, with agile software methodologies. We talk about things such as uh, return on investment and cost of ownership. You know, lots and lots of very good reasons why uh, we believe graphs and graph databases should be adopted and, wh and why we all love them. Um, but as I've been thinking about these things, I've, I've kind of, I think there are a couple, of, a couple of issues there. One of them is the fact that all of those those proposals, they're all effectively what the economists call proxy variables. You know, it's a way of talking indirectly about profit and loss. Uh -huh. um, but each of those things in and of itself doesn't share a common measure. So it's very difficult to balance all of these different forces and to say, to make a conclusive argument as to why, why adopt graph. Um, and without some kind of common measure, you know, if, if you base your choice of technology around any one of those arguments that I've just mentioned, we kind of run the risk of optimizing around local maxima. So that's one of the problems with, with the ways in which we've discussed graph in the, in the past and the value of graph. Uh -huh. um, the other thing is that 
actually, they're all rather generic arguments. You know, actually, we could be describing any technology, performance, flexibility, ROI, cost of ownership, all that kind of stuff. There's nothing there that really talks to me about graph as graph. So one of the things that I think I've been trying to think through and trying to to redirect some of my love for graphs is, is thinking about the economic benefits of graph as graph. How can we take specific features of the graph data model and of the graph databases technology, how can we take those features and translate them into a model of life cycle profit and loss? Yeah. Would that be something like, you know, cost savings or additional revenue or is that the kind of thing that you're thinking about or um perhaps uh, i mean it's it's a it's a kind of multi-dimensional problem there's, there's lots and lots of different ways into this but we're trying to find some economic basis for choosing graph over and above anything else okay um and my way into it is to fall back on some of the work that i've done previously around the graph data model so I, like i say, i think there's lots and lots of different ways into this problem but the one for me is to think about the graph data model um, and how we can try and translate that into uh, measures of, of, of profit and loss. So what I want to do is try and create an economic framework that justifies the graph data model. That's really interesting. <laughs> um, but but doesn't seem like a very straightforward thing to do. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> it's not, and it's you know they're, they're kind of tentative thoughts at the moment. But I, I think it, I think it's possible. I think there's you know we can reach out to, to other pieces of literature and other ways in which people are uh, kind of analyzing similar problems and translating them into these measures. And we can apply some of, the, some of those techniques when we're thinking about graphs and graph databases. Yeah. So, say for me, sorry, go. <laughs> We're interrupting each other. Um, you know, I've, I've thought about this a little bit myself as well. And you, know, you, you always think about you know the cost savings or the additional additional you know benefits side, but then there's also this part where I think you know it's it's just enabling new things. You know completely new kinds of applications that were never possible before are all of a sudden possible you know how do you how do you measure that right that's yes a, yeah yeah the, 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 the kind of untapped opportunities or the way in which it reflexively impacts the way in which we think about a world and what we can do in our world yeah. um, and perhaps it's, it's more difficult there to to attach a specific cost to those opportunities that currently you know we have nothing to compare them against yeah they can be really disruptive right yeah yeah definitely super i mean that's a really interesting answer and uh you know lots of things to uh, to come to follow on to that i think but we want to keep these pod podcasts reasonably short so uh <laughs> i'm going to move on to another question if you don't mind um because you know Obviously, that's a, a part. Maybe that's part of the of, of of your answer to the next question. You know, where is this going? Where where do you think mm. um, graph databases and graph technologies will be in the next couple of years? Um, what, what what are your thoughts on that, Ian? Um, well, I think we could look at that in three different areas, uh, you know, three levels of granularity, um, and actually they become increasingly more interesting the further up the stack that we go but at the lowest level i think there's the evolution of the technology itself the, the maturation of the technology and um, then we can look at the kind of the capabilities offered by the data model and that that speaks to the thing that you were just talking about that you know new opportunities and new applications that we've not dreamt of in the past mm -hmm. and then there are changes in the overall business context so i think 
terms of the technology, what we're going to see over the next few years is, um, you know, today we're very much focused on Neo4j. That's our obviously our core concern. But we're already aware that this is now part of a larger established uh, branch of technology, graph database technology. And I, I think we're going to see that technology mature. And in maturing, it's actually going to look, it's going to come to look more and more like the other technology that we use. Okay. You know, today, uh, each graph database is a, is a kind of snowflake technology. But over time, we're going to see a common set of core features and probably a degree of standardization around the ways in which we access these things, the APIs and the query languages. Yeah. I think one of the things that we have to consider is the way in which that standardization, whether we, we like it or not, kind of triggers a revaluation of, of a lot of proprietary languages and proprietary APIs. And I think that's something that, again, as a community, we should, we should begin to consider. So I think in the future, the technology itself will be differentiated uh, as much on features as it is on things like quality and the operational affordances. You know, actually, how easy is this to embed into my software development lifecycle? How easy is it to, to operate in production? And what's its, its quality? What kind of SLA can I be guaranteed with this technology? So that's, that's the kind of lowest level of the ways in which I, I think things will tend over the next few years. Yep. What becomes more interesting then is the way in which as we apply the technology, as we learn about how we can use it, it has that reflexive uh, force that, that helps us mine new opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that's going to, to create a kind of profound shift in the way in which we, we conceptualize and represent our domain, all the things that we're interested in. So in the past, in the applications in the last 20 years or so, we've kind of taken it for granted that we know what the things are that we're interested in, what the entities are. We kind of establish boundaries and then we shape our representations, we shape our data models to conform with this, this kind of upfront way of the way the world is, the way we think the world is. Yep. But I think in the future, and, and we're already beginning to see this, um, what we take to be our object of interest will actually emerge from a connected structure, from a graph, based on the way in which we query or look at that structure. Um, so the techniques that we have, and I think this is where something like Cypher in particular becomes enormously important, the techniques that we have allow us to discover entirely new kinds of, uh, of entity or of aggregate. All right? So in the past, we, we already knew what our customers looked like. Yeah. So we, we went and sought all of the information that we thought we needed to know about those customers, and then we tried to divine some additional insight. But I think in the future... We will take a, you know, that, that large, variably structured, densely connected body of data, and by experimenting with, with, with things like cipher queries, with, with graph patterns, we'll discover new subgraphs, new aggregates within that, which become the objects of interest to us. Is that, is that a little bit similar to what, you know, in the triple store domain is done with inferencing, Ian? Is that similar to that, you think? Yeah, it's, a, inferencing, um, it's in, inferencing, and it's also... Uh, about creating what I'd call identity functions. Okay. All right. So it's 
I think a cipher query is effectively an identity function. You execute that query against the graph, and whatever comes back, particularly if this is a really interesting query with variable length paths and untyped relationship names and so on, whatever comes back suddenly becomes of interest to us. Yeah. And one of the things that triggered this was was reading the, the Christakis and Fowler book, Connected. Yeah. And, and, and them showing the ways in which we look at things have changed. So, you know, the, the ways in which we look at things such as smoking and obesity have changed. Yeah. And instead of defining a person's pr propensity to smoke as being the attribute of this bounded, autonomous entity, the person, instead they propose this kind of propensity to smoke function, yeah. which traverses a network of social relationships. And what you get is a new aggregate, a new weird subgraph, which is a network of invisible transitive influences. Yeah. And that's an entirely new thing that is of interest to us. Super interesting. You're actually the second person on the podcast that references that book. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. For, for all of our listeners, uh, it's, it's probably a really interesting thing to take a look it's, at. I'll it's put great, it on. great stuff. Yeah. It is, really is great stuff. Yeah. Um, I'll put it in the uh, blog post with the podcast as well. Cool. Hey, Ian, I'm, I'm going to wrap up um, this conversation, if you don't mind. It's been really interesting. I, we'll, we'll, we'll have more time uh, uh, at one of the next uh, meetups or conferences, GraphConnect perhaps, right? Um, thank you so much for taking the time. I really You're appreciate welcome. it. And uh, look forward to uh, continuing the conversation um, online or in face-to-face. -face. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.